Now let's go to Romans 12 and uh, take a look. <clears throat> All right, I want to read you a, a text, and I want to remind you that this is a section in the, the Paul's Epistle to the Romans, um, which Joni Kerr has pointed out, Romans is the constitution of the Christian faith. Isn't that right, Joni? Yeah, that's right. And, and for all of you who are continuing to wonder when we're going to finish up with Romans, uh, it is the constitution of the Christian faith. So just take that. <laughs> we, we, we move slowly here. But anyway, I, I want you to remember that this is a section uh, where Paul is giving you his theology of the church. We've looked at this whole idea of the body or uh, the, the various gifts in the body. And then he starts in verse 9, really through pretty much uh, the rest of this chapter, with some exhortations about what the church should look like, uh, characteristics, things that would, should characterize us as the body of Christ. And so uh, we come tonight to verse 11. Um, and so I'm going to read you that, and then I want to make a couple of comments, and then we'll, we'll dive in. But he says this, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Now, guys, first of all, let, let me, before we try to unravel the text at all, um, in a very real sense, I, I'm the last person that ought to be teaching you this text tonight. Uh, I really should recuse myself or disqualify myself from, from teaching it. Um, you need to be warned, before we look at it, that you shouldn't listen to me very, very closely tonight. Now, I'm not saying don't listen to the text closely. Um, but I am saying <clears throat> that the one who is teaching you the text has an unfair advantage. And um, thus, you need to beware. Now, let me tell you what, what I'm alluding to in terms of my advantage First of all, guys, I am paid to be zealous. I, I'm paid to be fervent. Um, how long do you think you would keep me around here if I was slothful and sluggardly in the execution of my responsibilities? <clears throat> I am paid to do this. You're not. The second thing is my temperament is such that, that zeal comes rather easy, easily to me. Um, my wife started this years ago, but uh, she would tell people that he only has two speeds, high and off. Um, guys, when, when, um, when I was in college and playing college sports, the, uh, the sports writers would, um, who wrote about me uh, on occasion um, would say various things about me, and they all, they all, um, some of them were nice, some of them were not so nice, but, um, um, but one of them coined this term to describe me, and, um, it kind of stuck. Uh, he described me as a pepper pot catcher. <laughs> pepper pot. And so that's what I was called, uh, uh, uh for a couple of years. I, I really wasn't that good, uh, you know, as, as a baseball player, but, but I played hard. I, I was excited to be there. My goal, I was a catcher. 
my goal was to beat the hitter to first base. Uh, you know, when you hit the baseball, you're supposed to back up first base, but my goal was to beat the runner to, to first base and, and, and often did. Um, but, um, zeal doesn't, isn't something that comes hard to me. Um, and, and thirdly, in terms of my advantage, very frankly, guys, a lot of what you see is what you may call zeal is pure flesh. It's nothing, nothing ignited by the Spirit. It is pure flesh. So in that regard, um, my standing up here um, is somewhat unfortunate that I'm the one having to handle this text and admonish you. So um, I, I do hope that none of what I just said will reduce the force of the text on you or on us. <clears throat> the text very clearly denounces spiritual sloth. It, it very clearly applauds zeal. It, it very forthrightly promotes a fervency of spirit which, I think you would agree, are things that are fairly rare in the 21st century evangelical church. Sloth we know. Fervency is is rather rare uh, in the Christian church. Now, <clears throat> again, you have to isolate me because I'm paid, you know? So it's not fair. That's I, I hope you get my point. But, but the thing, what, what Paul is doing here is is trying to describe how it is that we are supposed to do the work that we have been called to as the Christian church. And he is exhorting us to to a moral earnestness, which is rare, ladies and gentlemen. Now, let me me hasten to, to add this or insert this here. Paul is not pleading for some kind of religious busyness. Guys, what, what, what I'm about to say can never be divorced from verses 1 and 2. I just told you that he is pleading for a moral earnestness. And, and, and I stand by that. But if you're, if you're not careful, that can devolve into nothing but moralism. If it's divorced from verses 1 and 2, which are, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may detest those texts. If you divorce this from that, then you end up with pure moralism. Guys, this is, this is a, a spiritual duty, a spiritual exhortation, and it must always be remembered that anything that is accomplished spiritually is something that God energizes and innervates. So, I, he is not trying to describe some kind of church, busy work, moralistic something. That's not it. And I, I hope you'll not get that impression once we're done. Now, to the text. Let me clear up one quick matter and uh, just kind of a, a, a translation problem. I don't know how many people still have King James Bibles. I, I, maybe not many of you, but they're still out there. And if you, you there's one. That, uh, how, how many do we have? Oh, we got a couple. Oh, yeah. You, uh, all of you are over 75, aren't you? Uh, just a joke. Um, uh, um, 
but the, the King James uses a word in there that is very unfortunate. Look at the look at your text. It uses the word business. That's a that's a very un, uh, it's a it's an odd translation of the word. The Greek word is spude. It's the same word that's found in verse eight that's translated zeal. And why the translators saw fit to translate that business, I don't know, because it it, it confuses matters. It's almost as if we're talking about your your occupation or your job. We're not. It's not. So the, the, what I'm reading you from, the English Standard, I think is a, is a fairly accurate translation. And it says, not fairly, it's a good one. Do not be slothful in zeal, not in business. Th- that'll mislead you if you stuck with that word. So get over it. Uh, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Now, so th- that at least will clear up the, the translation issues. Guys, this is an injunction, an exhortation on the part of the Apostle Paul trying to describe the way that that we do things. This is not trying to describe the the kind of work you do. It's trying to describe the kind of worker that does it um, in, in service to Christ. It's to be done a certain way, guys. The the injunction, you know, the New Testament and the Old Testament is full of stuff like like this in the the First Corinthians ten passage that talks about uh, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And there's all kinds of statements like that that we're not supposed to do our our, our work as men pleasers, uh, but knowing that we're we're service our service is under the Lord Jesus. There's all kinds of exhortations that there's a there's a certain way that 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 we are to execute the responsibilities entrusted to us. And all of life is in view. We, we are not to somehow separate the sacred from the secular. You know, there's a little girl who is in our grace group, and she is precious. Um, she is a, she's a pediatrician. And her husband is a, um, a radiologist. And um, they just, I mean, she just started her practice less than a year ago. She's a little practicing uh, pediatrician, and, and um, um, she had a baby. Had a baby back in November. So she comes to, um, she comes to our grace group on, on, um, in January, and she's, you know, she's still off on maternity leave, and yada, yada, yada. And, and um, uh, then she, she comes in February, and she says, oh, I'm going to have to go back to work, and I don't want to go to work, and I, I don't want to leave my new baby. And, <laughs> you know, and I might, you know, I just understood what she was saying. And so Sunday night she comes, and I said, well, have you gone back to work? She said, yes, I've gone back to work. I said, well, how's it going? She says, well, it's not what I would choose, but my work is part of my worship. That's almost a quote. Guys, it's not, we're not, the text is not describing what you do. It's describing how it is that you do what you do. And that all of it is to be brought into the sweep of my, of my organic relationship with Jesus Christ. It's to be done differently. There's, there's a different kind of, a different, different way that Christians um, it, this text is calling Christians to live with a different spirit. Now, let, let me let me pause to add this real quick, and we'll get further. But, guys, the, the way you express this is going to differ uh, uh, in, in accordance with your temperaments. 
for instance, um, my temperament is different from yours. And so, but this doesn't simply apply to the introverts. It, it applies to all of us. But understand that it's going to look differently based on the temperament that God has, has entrusted to you. Just keep that in mind. But ladies and gentlemen, my brothers and sisters in Christ, we are to beware of a slothful, half-hearted performance of religious duty. You know, that word duty has taken on, you know, bad, it connotes bad things for some. I don't know why. It's a, it's a wonderful word. There is duty. There is duty to Christ, ladies and gentlemen. Um, this doing things half-heartedly, half doing something. The word that I love to use in, in, um, this is not a pretty word, but I think I think in large measure you would agree with me. What I see in the Christian church is trifling. It's a spirit of trifling with with holy things, a a disinclination for for service. Um you know, and the devil may be part of some of that, folks. And we believe in a personal devil that 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 certainly hates to see any of the work done that honors Jesus Christ. But there is a there is a spirit of torpor. You know that word. There's just a spirit of torpor over God's people. And here is a text, ladies and gentlemen, that addresses our spiritual sloth. I don't know what else to do with that verse but tell you that, guys. Look at it again. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Um, you know, guys, many of you would agree. I mean, I, are, you're concerned about this as well as I am. The, the whole uh, drift in the 21st century evangelical community to insist upon something that's entertaining. You know what that is? The desire for entertainment. It's a sloth of the mind. It's an unwillingness to, to engage and to think and to wrestle. And truth just demands that we do that. Um, guys, I, I'm not going to take your time to do this, but let me just say the book of Proverbs is filled with exhortations against sloth. Go to the ant, ye sluggard, and observe her ways, says the scriptures. You know, a, a little, a little, um, what is it, a little this and a little that, and, and something comes over me like the night. I mean, it denounces, it denounces a trifling spirit. We trifle. We trifle over the things of God, and I, and I, I think, I think you, um, I think you know of what I speak, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, you can tell a whole lot about a person when you simply discover their zeals. Tell me what you're zealous over, and we'll figure out who you are. My whole value system can be seen 
in the things that I'm passionate over. Guys, if, if you love something, you never get tired of doing it. You know, you never have to say to anybody, now listen here, when you're out making money, I want you to be fervent. You never have to, you never have to encourage people to, um, uh, to be zealous over making money. Does that not tell you something? Um, but when it comes to the service of Christ, the rules are different, folks, because um, we don't take to this naturally. We don't come by this naturally. It's, not a, it, it, it's an acquired taste. Uh, I have to labor over my soul moving towards the slothful end of the spectrum. You know, there was a pamphlet that was that came out years ago, gosh, when I was in seminary in the 70s. But Jay Adams wrote a pamphlet called Godliness Through Discipline. I, I've got it someplace in my library and I couldn't find it, but um, Godliness Through Discipline. Now, tell me this, my brother and sister in Christ. Name me, I mean, not out loud. <laughs> name me one discipline that you have over your soul. Just one. Give me an example of one discipline that you have applied to the operation of your soul. You know, if if I wanted to... If, if, if when we get ready to uh, design um, regimens for health care, we go to the little people down at the Germantown Community Center and and we say, now, what I, what I need to do? And so this guy, I mean, years ago, he wrote me up this thing about the five days of the week, what I'm supposed to do on Monday, what I'm supposed to do on Wednesday, what I'm supposed to do on Friday, what I'm supposed to do on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And so um, I, I ride a, a, an elliptical, I mean, I do elliptical five days a week, and then I lift weights three days a week. That's a regimen of physical health care. Now, I know you'd say it's not working very well, but um, but it's a regimen. And but we would never dream of doing something like that over our souls. And it shows, doesn't it? Guys, um, If, if my soul is ever going to be brought to the place of where, where it's growing steadily more healthy, I'm going to have to find me a discipline. Whether it's over my prayer life or whether it's over my morning or whether it's over how much television I watch or whether it what I do with the newspaper in the morning, um, you know, how much, what time do I get up in the morning or go to bed? Something, something. Um, if I'm ever going to find myself adequately described by Romans chapter 12, verse 11. Let me say this again, guys. Show me your zeals, and I will show you your character. What things are we zealous about? Um, 
I don't know what else to tell you other than the exhortation from the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Spirit is that sloth in spiritual matters is sin. Um, an unfervent spirit, I guess that's a word, I think I just made that one up. An unfervent spirit is a violation of the will, the revealed will of God. Because um, I'm being exhorted to be fervent in spirit. I got one other hard thing to say, and then it'll, it'll lighten up a little bit, but Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> I told you I needed to disqualify myself from this text, but you wouldn't let me. Um, everybody in this room knows this text. Not this one, the one I'm about to allude to. Everybody in this room knows of this text. It's found in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, where Jesus says, I wish that you were either hot or cold. But because you are lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. Ladies and gentlemen, that is written to the believing church. Now, the believing church or the church that has maybe unbelievers mixed in, but it's written to the church. And in Jimmy Young terminology... Lukewarm, trifling service to Christ is nauseating. I wish you were one or the other, but not this. That trifling spirit has got to go. It's got to go, folks. It's got to go among us. Uh, if, if, if this is in any way... Um, uncomfortable for you, then then go to God and ask Him to forgive you. Ask Him to forgive us that we are, that we trifle over spiritual matters. Um, there's this wonderful statement um, in, um, in Philippians chapter 2. The man who wrote this also wrote Philippians chapter 2 and he says, This one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind, I press on to the goal of the prize of the upward calling in Christ Jesus. Somebody said about that verse, this is not, I didn't make this up, but I love this word, that Paul was a monomaniac. This one thing I do. Doesn't that, doesn't that charm you? It, it charms me. Um, but instead of this one thing that I do, the Christian church in the 21st century says something like, these three or four things I dabble at. Folks, Romans chapter 12 verse 11 denounces all of that stuff. Now I can tell you that one of the things that I think is an enemy of spiritual fervor is, um, you, might, you, might count, you might consider this counterintuitive. Um, but one of the enemies of spiritual fervor, guys, is feeling my sin less than I once used to feel it. Um, because I've grown comfortable with, with, um, with sin. Um, I, I would say that that is a, 
that is going to drain us of fervor uh, when sin becomes more and more comfortable to us. And then um, you notice in the text that he says, uh, do not be slothful in zeal, be servant. Serve the Lord. And ultimately, guys, it's, it's the who that we serve that should light fires under us. This, this king of glory that, that has lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we should have died and deserves fervent service. Let me tell you a couple of stories and I'm done. You know, I was in Budapest for those three months, and I, I, I just want to tell you that I would love to do that again. If I ever get the chance, I, I want to do it again. It was, it was, it was life-changing for me. <clears throat> but, um, you know, I spent those three months there, and I preached for 13 straight weeks, I think. And um, uh, then I went back, I think it was like two years later, um, and I took a group from Gracie Van, and, and we worshiped in the church where I preached for three months. And... Um, and there was a guy there. He was there when I was there. His name was Matt Jackson. Matt was this preppy little dude who came out of Atlanta. He graduated from Georgia Tech, I think. Um, but he and his wife had, you know, bought this nice little manicured house in Atlanta. And, and he just sensed that God called him away from that. And he moved to, um, he, he just about, they'd just arrived just about the time we got there. And um, so he moved his family from Atlanta to Budapest. And um, there's some vast differences in those two locales, I can assure you. But um, um, when I came back two years later, Matt Jackson, and I mean, there he was, he and his wife. <clears throat> in fact, it was in Matt Jackson's home that my whole experience turned. And it wasn't, it was really with my wife. Can I tell you about that real quick? Just real quick. Um, it was a Monday night. It was raining. It was nasty. It's in, you know, it's in March. And it, no, it's probably in February. It's still, yeah, it's February. Because it was right about the sixth week. And it was nasty. And they lived in this terrible place. And it was up this big old hill. And it had this big old ravine on the side. And it scared me to death. And, and this, Matt Jackson's wife had um, invited a bunch of women to her home on a Monday night. And they were going to, the title of the night was Beating the Budapest Blues. All these little girls had come over there and, and you know, they'd left these beautiful places in Atlanta and, 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 and this little girl was just trying to survive. So she invited my wife and what they were supposed to do is everybody was supposed to bring something that they really liked about Budapest. Um, and so just, you know, to make a positive kind of, let's, let's think about some things that we like about Budapest. Beating the Budapest blues. And um, so I went and picked her up at, at the end of it. And we brought, I came home and she, um, she was, went upstairs and my wife and bathed and got ready for bed. And I was still reading downstairs. And so she came down the stairs. And I never will forget this. And, and um, she said, and, and by the way, we were really struggling at that moment ourselves. And she said, I think I know why we're here. And I said, well, why? She said, because these girls, they don't get to go home in seven weeks. And for you to preach something that they can understand and recognize, it's the only place where things are normal. And I'm not saying it was great preaching. I'm just saying when they could walk in there, they could hear something that they recognized. A message, a voice. 
and it was just helping them beat the Budapest blues and adjust. But all of that to say, when we went back two years ago, Matt Jackson came. Matt Jackson had made it. He was still there. And um, he came up to me and he said, Boy, did I love having you. It was great. And he remembered one thing that I said in 13 weeks. One thing. Now, that really hurt my feelings. Um, because they were just wonderful sermons. But uh, um, he, re- he remembered one thing. I want to tell you what he remembered. At the end of one sermon, um, you know, here they are. They just left Atlanta. They're struggling. Do we stay here? I mean, did we do the right thing? I brought my family to this place. Da 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 da. You know, and um, and I said something like this. I forget the sermon, but I closed with something like this. And I said it was talking about some kind of service to Christ. And I said this. I said, "Is it worth it?" Is it worth it? And then I added, that's the wrong question. The question is, is he worth it? And Matt Jackson said that was the thing that kept us here. Guys, the text says it's service to the Lord. Is it worth it? Wrong question, ladies and gentlemen. Wrong question. The question is, is he worth it? I'll, I'll let you make that call. One other thing, and I'm, I'm, I'm done. In, in my studying for this, I ran across a guy by the name of William Barnes, um, no, Burns, <laughs> William Burns, and I don't know William Burns, but uh, he was a preacher in, I forget, it's Scotland or Ireland, I get those two mixed up, I guess it was Scotland, uh, he was a preacher, in, <clears throat> and it seems like it was in the 1600s that William Burns preached in Scotland. And one of the things that he said in almost every one of his sermons, <laughs> I don't know what the men preached, I don't, but he would close his sermons like this. He would say, Brothers, we must hurry. Is that not delightful? You know who hurries? People who are fervent in spirit and not slothful in zeal, who are serving the King of Kings. Brothers, we must hurry. Father, I do pray that you will stir those embers back into a flame in our souls. Um, Lord, forgive us for half-hearted service. Forgive us for half-hearted Bible study. Forgive us, forgive us for trifling with, with, our, with our souls. And I pray that 
uh, more and more that you might find a group of people gathered in the place called Grace Evangelical Church who are not slothful in zeal, but are fervent in spirit, serving the one whom they love, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.